We're in a new series called Anthem. Uh, we started last week and we're going through some of the Psalms and really just really just taking some of these anthems of the faith, uh, so to speak, and applying them to our lives today. So um, I'm excited for today. A few announcements just to mention before we jump in. One is you still you see we still have shoe boxes up here and these are for Operation Christmas Child and these are all empty, the ones you see here and over by the door. And you can take those and fill those up. You choose an age group. You choose boy or girl. Uh, put things in them. Uh, you can go online and see a list of like appropriate things to put in there or ask one of us. But uh, fill them up, bring them back, and we'll take them to the processing center. Uh, and boom. And speaking of that, we've got four different trips right now scheduled for the Processing Center in Boone. And if you want to sign up and help with one of those, most of them are four, five hour, four to five hour shifts. Uh, you can go and you actually serve on a production line where you go through the boxes and inspect the boxes and make sure they've got, they, they don't have anything inappropriate. You can add some stuff to them if they're not full enough. And, uh, and then you sort them by age group and size and put the cartons together and get them loaded on the truck. If you're interested in helping with that, we've got four different dates. Go to our website, go to upcoming events, and you'll see them listed. So uh, mycornerstone.org or our app at mycornerstone.fyi. Either way, you can find those under upcoming events and sign up for a spot if you want to help with that. So uh, that's coming up. Uh, we have youth tonight, so for our 7th through 12th graders. Uh, so uh, that's coming up as well at 6.30 to 8. Um, and I think that's all the, the big announcements I have. So today, again, I'm excited to continue this series uh, and it really is these anthems uh, of the faith, so to speak. We forget sometimes that the Psalms are songs uh, often that were sung uh, uh, for many different reasons. Some were, were psalms of exaltation, uh, of praise and honoring God. And, and really, they were written uh, in response to good things that happened. And then some uh, were written in response to things that were not so good. Um, Things, uh, events uh, that happened, and, and, and today we'll talk about one of those events in the life of David that really brought him to rock bottom. And we get to see how he responded. We get to see how we can respond when, when we mess up to the point where we don't know what to do. Um, and, and so let me just ask you this morning as we start, what do you do when you blow it? What do you do when you mess up? What do you do when you are ashamed to show your face? Uh, you know, we live in a small town. Let's be honest. And like, if you mess up big, it's not going to take long for everybody here to know about it, right? And so you carry around guilt and shame, condemnation. You carry that around with you because, hey, I messed up. This was in my past. This happened. And now I don't know how to deal with it. And so I'll say a lot of people, you see how they respond to it as, as they're runners. They just run from their problems. So, you know, somebody messes up, someone has a moral failing in the church. What happens? They have marital problems. They have, what do they do? Uh, instead of going through the process of healing and repentance and working, no, they just take off and run. They go to another church and they start all over again. You see this with pastors. There's, I could tell you a number of high-profile, big-name, so to speak, pastors that have had really big 
failures in their ministry, whether it's arrogance, pride, whether it's sexual misconduct, whatever it was, Um, And their church lays out, here's a way for you to be restored. Here's a way for you to kind of come back to ministry. And they say, I don't want to do that. Um, I'm just going to go start another church. They start another church. People show up and the whole process starts over again. And so you see, this is really a, a big issue for the church today. It's like, how do we handle it when we mess up? Um, and so how do we, uh, you know, for me, I'll, I'll tell you one of the, the emotions that I struggle with the most is, is embarrassment. I don't like being embarrassed. I don't like people looking at me, making fun of me. I don't like people, uh, you know, I don't want to be that center of attention. And for all of us, right, we have those things in our life that we don't like, that we don't enjoy, that we don't look back on fondly. And, and so today, I hope is a day of freedom for many of you here today, many of you watching. I hope it's a day of freedom where you can lay down some of that stuff in your past and you can move forward uh, with forgiveness uh, and, and really faith. And so I love the passage we're going to be in. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 51. It'll take me a little while to get there, uh, but you can go ahead and, and flip there and, and we'll be there in a few minutes. Um, the Psalms are so full of emotion. They, um, they describe the emotions that we all face. And we need to know, how do we handle it when we blow it? How do we respond? How do we make things right? Can God still use us? One of the saddest things to me is when people come up and, and say, well, Mike, um, you just don't understand. You don't understand what's in my past. God could never use me now. I could never serve that way. I could never be part of a church. Uh, you just don't understand. I've really messed up. And my response to, to you would be, do you understand, one, how sinful we all are, and do you understand how good God is? Do you understand the glory of God? Do you understand how incredible He is? And if you, you, you get that understanding, if He is holy, we are not, that kind of helps us understand that, that we can't fix this on our own. We can't fix these problems on our own. We need help. And so today, before we jump in the story, let me kind of back up and tell you how we got here. And I'm going to start in 2 Samuel. Uh, there's a, a, a passage here uh, where we see the prophet Nathan go to King David. Um, and, and, and I'll just pick it up, chapter 12, verse 1. Um, and it says this, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up uh, with his children. It ate from the man's own plate. It drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. So one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he prepared it for his guest. Now, as you can imagine, David heard this story. He was upset about it. He's like, why would someone ever do that? And in one of the most poignant places in all of Scripture, one of the most convicting places, we see how he responded and we see how Nathan responded. David was furious. Verse 5, As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse 7, Nathan looked right at David and said, You are that man. 
Now, imagine with me for a minute. I mean, Nathan could have been killed for this, for first and foremost, for, for speaking to the king this way. And David had a choice to make. David just under, he heard this parable. He saw how terrible it was. And now Nathan looks at him and says, you have done the exact same thing. So how is David going to respond? Well, his response is what we're studying today. It's Psalm 51. So what had David done? Well, I'll kind of give you the the Cliff Notes version. You can read about this, but um, it all started when he sent his his armies into battle and he stayed home. So first and foremost, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And that's how a lot of us get in trouble. We put ourselves in places where we don't need to be. And while he was home, while his troops were off in battle, he was standing out, looking out over the city. He saw Bathsheba. Uh, someone told me first service, I said Uriah instead of Bathsheba. So that may, I may have to find that on YouTube. Um, but he found Bathsheba bathing on the roof and he watched. Now at this point, um, I'm sure in David's mind, he was like, oh, there's nothing wrong. I'm just looking. I, this is not that bad. And, but then he said, well, let her, he sent for her and said, I, I want to meet her. I want to talk to her. Bring her to me. They brought her to him. One thing led to another. Uh, she's pregnant now, and David's in a lot of trouble. David's in a lot of trouble. Uh, so Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. He was a soldier. He was off doing what David was supposed to be. And so David said, okay, I, I'm, I've got a plan. I'm going to fix this. If I have him come home from battle and he goes into his wife, then everybody will think the baby is his. Since for Uriah, Uriah comes back. Uriah's like, I'm not doing that. My men are in battle. I, I can't go home and, and spend time with my wife. That's not right. David realizes he's in a bigger mess. He's going to cover it up even more. He sends Uriah back to battle with a special sealed message. The message is, uh, when Uriah gives it to his commander, it's like, okay, put Uriah on the very front of the battle, in the heat of battle, pull back from him, and leave him all by himself. In other words, you're going you're gonna to leave him for dead in the, in the midst of the battle. And that's what they did. And Uriah was killed. And then David took Bathsheba as his wife. And this whole story... Uh, is what Nathan approached David with. You know, you, you had everything, and yet you took what wasn't yours. You are that man, David. You deserve, uh, you know, you've tried to cover this. this is, and, and, get, and, and listen to me here. It had been almost a year at this point when Nathan confronted David. This was not just something that happened last week. This has been, there had been time here. David was still trying to act like nothing was wrong. Nothing had happened. And Nathan let David know that God knew. God saw it. You can't hide from God. And so what do you do when you know you've done something wrong, but you don't know the path forward? You, you, you feel helpless. You feel lost. You, you can't undo what you've done. You did something that you know was wrong. How do you fix it? You can't fix it by yourself. And so Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. Athanasius, who's an early church father, he once recommended to Christians that they should recite this psalm when they wake up in the middle of the night. So, so in other words, if you wake up with something on your conscience, right, this is the psalm you need to be 
repeating. Uh, Martin Luther once claimed there is no other psalm more often sung or prayed in the church. Uh, Another Protestant reformer said this. He said, uh, this psalm is the brightest gem in the whole book and contains instructions so large and doctrine so precious that the tongue of angels could not do justice to it for its full development. Charles Spurgeon said this psalm is a matchless psalm well suited for the individual as well as the assembly of the poor in spirit. And so what you see over and over again is you see people recognize that this is so important that we don't just need to focus on psalms that that lift us up and that glorify God. We need to focus on the psalms that show us what to do when we have no way to turn. Where we find ourselves at the bottom of the pit. When we find ourselves at rock bottom. And so this psalm, I'm going to tell you, uh, if, if you've blown it, if you've made a mistake, this psalm is for you. But there are others of you who are in the middle of, maybe it's not a big sin, but a little sin, but you're in the midst of trying to cover it up and act like nothing's happened. This psalm is for you. This psalm is actually for anybody that battles against sin. It's for all of us. And so the issue is not whether you sin or not. The issue is like, have, have I made peace with God? And, and do I hate my sin? And do I forsake it? And do I want to follow after Jesus? I'll be honest with you today. Um, see, just tell me if you agree. Do you agree with me that our culture has a very casual view of sin today? You, I mean, you, you look around. It's like people don't take sin seriously. And they'll say, but I'm not a murderer. But, you know, I just do this and I just, it's not a big deal. Everyone else is doing it. And so whether it's our approach to pride and gossip uh, and arrogance, whether it's our approach to our anger issues, we, we can rationalize anything. Whether it's our approach to sexual sins, Sex outside of marriage, sex outside of God's plan and design for marriage. We look at all of these issues in our societies like it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Just, just you do you. you. You think about you. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. That's our approach to sin today. And I, I want to just say that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. David did not say when he went and viewed Bathsheba bathing, he did not say, you know what? I think I'm going to kill her husband. He didn't start with that, right? That that was not his intent. But he started with, I'm just going to glance. There's nothing wrong with just looking. And that led to action. That led to him going down a path of no return. That led to him covering it up. That led to him doing whatever he could to save face. Including having her husband murdered. And at that point, I think he realized he was in this way farther than he wanted to be. That's what sin does. Sin has consequences. Sin will take you where you don't want to go. And it will keep you there. It will separate you from your family and friends. It will destroy relationships. It will destroy your credibility. It will destroy your witness. It affects everyone around you. And believe me, when you are irresponsible, someone else has to be responsible for you. 
When you are irresponsible, someone has to pick up the pieces and, 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 and handle the, the mess that you've made. And David is at the point of realizing that. And so I think at this point, David recognizes he can't fix it by himself. He needs help. And he needs his relationship with God restored. And so I want to kind of break down Psalm 51. There's three prayers that we can pray today when we find ourselves in the midst of sin. When we realize we've blown it, when we realize we've messed up, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, if you start this when the sin is small, it's a whole lot easier than after letting the sin progress in your life. So this applies to every one of us. This is not just what you do after you commit murder. Now, this is, this is, this is how you handle it when you've disobeyed God. When you've disappointed yourself, when you can't forgive yourself, this is where you start. Here's the first prayer that you pray when you mess up. The first one is just, God, cleanse me. God, cleanse me. This is where we start. We need cleansing. We need healing before we can fix everything else. This is recognizing the gravity of your sin. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is David's prayer to God saying, I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need you to, to clean what I've messed up. And so the first step here, I would just say, is we've got to quit rationalizing. We've got to quit minimizing. We've got to quit making excuses. We've got to quit spinning what we've done to make it seem like it's not that bad. Can I just tell you it is that bad? Sin is always bad. It's always disobedience. It always takes us away from where God wants us to be. The first step is saying, I know it. God is holy. I'm not. I've messed up. I need forgiveness. I can't fix this on my own. David thought he could fix it on his own. And it just kept leading him down a path of mistake after mistake, sin after sin. And we see David end up exactly I mean, a long, this is the guy that was known as a man after God's own heart. And he's committing murder. This is crazy, right? And so the words we read here in Psalm 51, they're desperate. As one guy said they're desperate, gut-wrenching. They're offered by a man who seriously misses what he once knew with God. And this is what happens to us, right? When we take our eyes off of our Savior and we start thinking we can make our own choices. So what happens when you don't do this? If you back up a little bit in Psalm 32, um, this is a good description of what happens to us when we try to hold it in. What 
joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Psalm 32, verse 2. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. This is what it feels like, right? When we try to cover up our sin. You, you, you waste away from the inside out. You have no strength. You have no passion. You have no joy. Why? Because this is consuming you. And, and, and can I just ask you, I mean, have you ever like just gone through something in your life where you know you made a mistake and you wake up at night thinking about it? And like, how can I fix this? How can I make things right? How can, I, how can I, nobody's ever going to forgive me for what I've done, for what I said, for how I made them feel. That was stupid. And you are struggling. You are wasting away because of a mistake you've made. If you've not done that yet in your life, I can pretty much guarantee you there will be some point in your life when you do. Because we're human. We make mistakes. We say things that we, we shouldn't. We, sometimes that filter doesn't kick in before you say something. You hurt people. You find yourself in a place where you need cleansing. Um, Steve Arterburn, he, he's a Christian psychologist, pastor, and author. He wrote, there's only three reasons why you would be afraid to do this first step of asking God to cleanse you. He said the first reason is you're afraid of losing your reputation. You're a tough guy. You don't want anybody to to think that you're weak. And so I I don't want to admit I made a mistake. So we just cover it up. We act like nothing happened. The the second reason, he said, is you're afraid of losing your favorite sin. This is where it gets, you know, and someone's saying, I I don't really want to quit because I like this sin too much. Someone's addicted to pornography and they're like, I don't really want to give that up. So I really don't want to seek forgiveness. I don't want cleansing because that means I have to give up what I'm doing. Even though I know it's wrong, I don't want to give it up. The third reason, he said, is you're afraid that it might cost you financially or emotionally or relationally. Maybe you're going to lose some friends or maybe you need a different job because the situation you're in, you're in the wrong place, surrounded by wrong people, and you are getting deeper and deeper into sin and you need to walk away from that. It's going to cost you financially. It's going to cost you relationally. And so there are reasons sometimes that we're afraid of asking God to cleanse us because we don't really want to be cleansed yet. And again, we've got to realize that sin is going to take us so much farther than we want to go. In Psalm 51, verse 7, when I read it earlier, it said, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Um, that's, a, that's a little bit of a simplistic translation. A little bit too, if you go back to, to a more literal, literal translation, I, I want to read it to you in, uh, out of the ESV. It says this, it says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why is this important? Why is this hyssop important? Well, it was a hyssop was a sponge-like plant that was used to apply the blood right to the altar. It was used to apply the, the blood uh, to the doorpost. It was what they used to, to, in, in their, their sacrificial system to show that blood is required. 
And the reason I bring that up is David is recognizing here, right, that his sin is so serious that it needs cleansing. And the only way to cleanse it is through the blood of a sacrifice. It's a foreshadowing. It's looking ahead to the the fact that Jesus is going to be that once and final for all sacrifice for all, the perfect lamb of God. It's, it's looking forward to that, that that's what we really need is a sacrifice that can, that can cover, that can atone for what has been done wrong. A lot of people get hung up on the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and there's like there's so much blood and so much sacrifice of animals and they don't understand it. But in essence, it just shows that sin is so serious that death has to take place. That, that death has to take place. Something has to die. You can go all the way back to Genesis and when the Lord uh, God made coverings for Adam and Eve, uh, he did that. That was the, the first death, right? The first animal that was sacrificed to cover for their sins. And, and we just see that over and over again. And so sin is so deeply embedded in us that it cannot be cured by anything but death. The old life has got to die. The old has got to go away. God can't fix it until it dies. I know know that's kind of a a strange concept for us today, today. But when Jesus died on the cross for us, he became that perfect sacrifice that pays the penalty that we could never pay on our own. That's the gospel message. And we see that right here in Psalm 51 because sin destroys. Sin takes us where we don't want to go. And and so uh, we read in the New Testament, um, another place that explains the same concept is in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 8 it says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, I could take us back to Romans 3 where it says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what we see right here is this idea that every single one of us has sinned and needs forgiveness. You're not exempt. You're not perfect. You have uh, things in your life that you need uh, to seek God and you need His forgiveness. But if we confess our sins to Him, not just say, I'm sorry, let's move on. No, if we really do the hard work of repentance... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness. David knows here, right, that this is the the, the first step on the path uh, to to really being redeemed again, to to be useful by God. It starts with being cleansed. I I shared last week the the first... uh, part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, the, the first question. There's another question about repentance. And it talks, what is repentance? And it says this, a repentance, it's a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And, and I know that kind of is complicated. Let me kind of break it down for you. It's just saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner and, and I need the mercy of God. I can't fix this on my own. So I turn with a hatred towards my sin. I turn to God and strive to follow after Him. 
That's that's my new purpose. That's my new. I, I, I hate the sin. I hate what it did to me. I hate how it affected my relationships. I hate everything about my sin. That's the place you've got to be at if you want to be cleansed. You've got to get to the point where you hate sin and you love God. And so many people today, they never get to that point where they truly hate sin and they truly want to follow after Jesus. So the first step is just getting to that point. God, cleanse me. I need cleansing from this wickedness, from this unrighteousness, from this sin in my life. And that leads to the second step that we read about here in Psalm 51. And it's simply this, God, restore me. Now that I've, I've, now that I've repented, now that I've dealt with this evilness, this dark blot, this sin, this stain, now God, start the process of restoring me, building me back up to where you want me to be. Let's pick it up in verse 8 in Psalm 51. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy to me of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So David here, he's just saying, I want to experience what I once knew, what I once felt. Again, he was the man after God's own heart. He's saying, I want to be, I want to be back to that place again. Restore me to that. Restore to me the joy that I once had. I've lost that joy because of what's happened in my life, because of what I've done, because of who I've become. God, I want, I want you to cleanse me, but I want you to restore me. We're afraid to pray that sometimes. Because we like wallowing in our, our self-pity and our doubt and our frustration and our condemnation. But God can forgive you. And when he does, he can, he can redeem you. He can bring you back and, and use you again. And so this prayer is a prayer to God restore me. One of the quickest ways to destroy that type of joy and closeness to God in your life is to cover up sin. It's to act like, uh, what you've done is not wrong. It's, it's to, to try to rationalize it, try to explain it away, try to minimize it. Um, it's to continue in that sin. That's one of the quickest ways to lose joy in your life. And I think David realizes that here. Uh, some people get caught up in this passage about uh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And, and I would just say, remember at this time, uh, Jesus has not sent the Holy Spirit to all believers. He's not, you know, he said, I, if I must leave so that I can send one uh, greater than I. And he, he's not really sent the helper. And so David was anointed by Samuel. David was, uh, was giving the, the, the power of God upon his life to be the king. And he recognizes that and he's saying, God, I don't want to be like Saul who lost that anointing. I, I want, God, don't take it away from me. Don't give, what in essence he's saying is, don't give up on me, God. Don't give up on me. He, he wants to be restored. There's a, there's a desire in him that he knows that, God, I, I'm not done yet. I, I know I seek your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. And now I, I want fellowship with you again. Change me, renew me, transform me, make me willing again. He knows that he needs God's help to do this. And so he begs for restoration. Repentance, um, it always moves us closer to God. It always 
restores. It always rebuilds. And so that's a reason we've got to do it constantly. Uh, Only the gospel gives us this message that you have sinned, but you can be forgiven and you can be restored. And that's what David is desiring so much. He wants to be restored. And that leads us to the third point this morning. Why does he want to be restored? The third prayer that we need to pray is, God, use me. God, use me. Use me. Um, Psalm 51, verse 13. This is how David responds. He's saying, Then I will teach your ways to the rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will again be sacrificed on your, off, on your altar. So what David's saying here is, God, if you will restore me, if you will cleanse me, if you will restore me, I know you can use me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell everyone I can about you. I'm going to teach your ways. I'm going to teach them even to the rebels who have nothing to do with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything in my power to be useful again, to get back to where I used to be, but I, 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 I need your help. And he knew it was more than just going through the motions of offering a sacrifice on the altar. He knew what God desired was a broken spirit, a contrite heart. He knew that what God was really looking for was true repentance. Not just saying, hey, I'm sorry, can we move on? You see, the problem we have in our world today is people want to skip, they want to skip the cleansing and the restoring, and they want to move straight to the using. And so when they do something wrong, it's like, guys, I made a mistake. Just forget. Let's just forget about it. Let's move on, and let's keep going. And that's, that's the response. That's why so many, I mentioned earlier that there are pastors, you know, who they mess up and then and the next thing you know, they're starting a new church. Why? Because they don't want to work through the process of restoration. Because it's tough. It's hard. It hurts. It's painful. It means that we have to seek forgiveness from God and from others. And it's so much easier for us to just, just to throw out a generic, I'm sorry for any, whatever it, it is that I've done that offends you, whatever it did that I did that was wrong, just forgive me. Can we move on? Forget about it. Don't bring it up again. That's the response most people have today. The response we need to have is a broken heart, a contrite spirit. This God, I've messed up. I've really made a mess out of my life. I need your help. So walk with me, use me, transform me, help me to make things right. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in just saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry versus hey, being broken about what you've done? And, and so this really, this use me is all about getting to this place where it's a really, you feel your sin deeply, but you understand the holiness and the glory and the the perfection of God even more and you understand that he is the one that can fix you so David's saying God I want to get back in the game I want to be useful you useful for you again I I, I want to I'm tired of of trying to hide I'm tired of running 
And, and I would just say, right, if you're here this morning, don't use the excuse that I can never serve God because you don't know what I've done in my past. We're talking about a guy who committed adultery and murder. And we see God continue to use him. And as bad as this situation is, Solomon, the son conceived out of this sin, was the one who rebuilt the temple. Right? You, you keep going in Scripture. You see, you, you see how it led down to Jesus. This is Jesus' family here we're talking about, his, descend, his, his ancestors. Right? You see that this is, this is crazy. I know it's like a soap opera, but what you see is that God uses even broken people. God can use you and restore you. And so we see uh, all of this just it brings us back to the gospel. I love that Psalm 51 is such a perfect picture of the gospel. And it makes me think a lot about the, the, the book of Romans for some reason. As I read Psalm 51, the book of Romans kind of walks us through our, our sin, our need for a Savior. And, and how we can't fix ourselves and how good God is and how nothing can separate us from the, good, the, the goodness and the grace of God. And, but if you back up to Romans chapter 3, this is what I want to close with today. There's a passage here that talks about how we're made right with God. It's through our brokenness. It's through acknowledging our sin. It's through this cleansing and restoring and the useful, being useful to God. And Romans 3.22 says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is step one, right? For anybody, if you, want to be, if you want to be reconciled to God, if you want to be restored to God, if you want to be forgiven, it's through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, I would add in no matter what you've done. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. It's the gospel message. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the New Testament. We see this is why Jesus came. We cannot fix our own mistakes. If we could, that's, we would just obey the law. We would just go through the motions. We'd just do the rituals, and that would fix us. What we need is faith in Jesus because he is the only sacrifice that can pay the full penalty of our sins. So, so I'll just ask you this morning, um, and, and maybe you came here expecting to hear like a, a positive, uplifting, encouraging message, right? But we need to hear sometimes that we've messed up and we can't fix it on our own. So quit trying to fix it and allow Jesus to forgive you, to heal you, to cleanse you, to restore you so that he can use you. 
That's the process that we need. It's the process of repentance. It's the process of growth in the life of every single believer. God is the only one that can free us from the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that we're carrying around. And if you are carrying that load, it's time to lay it down and trust Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. The praise team's going to come back up and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Would you guys bow your heads with me and would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, so thankful for your word that challenges us, that, that, that convicts us, that tells us you are that man. You are that woman that needs to hear the message today. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today listening online or watching online, anybody here in this room today that would say, I've been carrying a load that I've been trying to fix all these problems my own. I've been carrying this load of shame and guilt and condemnation, and I, and I cannot forgive myself. Maybe it's time to realize that you can't forgive yourself, but Jesus can. That the reason he came and died on the cross was to take that shame, that condemnation, that punishment that you deserved, and in exchange to give you his righteousness. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here that is carrying that load, today would be the day they lay it down. Today would be the day they place their faith and their trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save them. If you're a believer here this morning, my prayer is that you quit trying to fix things and cover things up and and excuse sin, but instead you, you draw back close to God with forgiveness and repentance. But if you don't know Jesus, right now, right here, is your opportunity to put your faith and trust in Him. So while everybody is praying, every head is bowed, would you pray with me? If you've been running, if you've been hiding, if you've been trying to escape away from God and trying to fix things on your own, maybe today is the day that can forever change your life, the day you trust Jesus and make Him the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed you. I know I've disappointed you. I've disappointed myself. I've, I've made a mess out of my life. But I know that you can also forgive me for you are a good God, a gracious God, a merciful God who sent Jesus to die on the cross on my behalf. So right now, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. If that's your prayer today, God not only heard it, He answered it. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe that God raised Him from the dead, that we will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We read in Romans 3 how it's by faith we are saved. It's not by works. It's not by the law. It's not by anything we've done or accomplished. It's by simply putting our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. All God's people said, Amen.